Alrighty, hello again everyone and welcome to It Is The Derek Hunter Clown Car Podcast for the 6th, was the 6th of January 2023. Make sure I got that right. I am Derek Hunter. I am your host. Appreciate you talking, telling me, uh, you know, spreading the word, all that good stuff. Really, really honestly appreciate the hell out of that. Please keep doing it and love the support and the supporters at patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast and DerekHunter.locals.com. The Week in Evan Review, and God, it's going to be a lot of, uh, lot to review. A lot of morons. God, you just sit there and you go, I hate it when some Republicans act like the Republicans, the liberals portray us as being, as all of us being. I'll explain that coming up. But yes, it's uh, at least as of now, there isn't a speaker. There might be a deal. There might be this. There might be that. The point isn't who the speaker is. I don't really give a damn who the next speaker is. I can't stand people who um, take hostages without a plan. Anyway, we'll get to all of that and more. You can email me at DerekAllenHunter at gmail.com. Good, good stuff, etc., etc. blah, 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 yakety-schmackety. Let us get on with the program. We do have a lot to get to, a bunch of stuff going on, and uh, we've got to start off with the speaker battle that continues, that continues. Who knows? There's, you know, rumors. There's a deal. There's going to be it. Maybe there is. Maybe there won't be. Maybe there will be. Who knows? My issue isn't with who becomes the next Speaker of the House. Honestly, who cares? Who cares who becomes the next Speaker of the House in the grand scheme of things? As long as it's not a Democrat, who cares? It would be ideal. It would be great. It would be wonderful if Republicans were able to get their act together and go, this is who we are. We are a united party against the Democrats. You don't have to be a united party behind somebody. That's what I find so stupid about this fight. And that's what's really annoying to me is this fight. The people involved in it, particularly the 20, 21 people, however many it is, who are never Kevin, I'll never Kevin. It doesn't matter. Nothing is going to come out of the House of Representatives that you or I are going to like, love, really, really want to get behind and fight for and push. Nothing is going to come out of the House of Representatives that stands a snowball's chance in hell of becoming law in the United States of America. Not for the next two years. I know, it's horrible, it's a drag. Well, I want to get rid of the IRS. You can't, you're not. It's just not going to happen. Well, I want to pull border security. You're not, it's not going to happen. And in fact, as far as border security goes, you don't want it to happen. Now, why am I saying that? Am I going squishy on the border? No. I haven't gone squishy on the border. You don't want it to happen because the trade-offs that would have to occur to get this administration to secure our southern border are worse than the problem itself. Biden has made it clear he doesn't give a a rat's behind about the southern border and it being an open border and all the illegal aliens coming across. He couldn't care less. The criminal illegal aliens, the fentanyl, he doesn't care. He doesn't care. Now, politically, if Republicans were able to message, they could make hay out of that. But that's not even why. I'm not even that cynical. That's not why I'm, I'm saying this. 
I'm saying you don't want a border deal with this administration because this administration wants one thing and one thing only. They want amnesty for the, now it's got to be 20 million illegal aliens who are in this country. They want citizenship for all of them. That's the only thing they'd accept. They might accept, although it could be 1986 all over again. People seem to, people always talk about, Ronald Reagan made a deal about the border. He blah, blah, blah. Yeah, he did. And it was, in his autobiography, one of his biggest regrets of his presidency, not because he hated those people, but because he did not contingent the amnesty on securing the border. He made the mistake of trusting Democrats to keep their word. The deal in 1986 was amnesty for 3 million illegal aliens. What a quaint number that is, 3 million instead of 30 or 20. But amnesty for them and a pathway to citizenship in exchange for border security. The problem is that amnesty came first and border security was dependent on future Congresses spending the money to secure the border. They never did it. They didn't want to do it. Democrats are lying frauds and they've never really cared about this country. And so the border remained open and we end up in a situation where we are now. It's problematic to say the least. So the Democrats, as currently constituted, want the same kind of deal. We need to do comprehensive immigration reform. Comprehen- you always hear that. Comprehensive immigration reform. Our system is broken. Its system isn't broken. They're not enforcing the system. They're not using this. They're not enforcing the laws. It's not a broken system when you're ignoring the laws. Your car isn't broken and going at an excessive high rates of speed when you add nitrous oxide tanks to it. You know, like, well, that's kind of why you did it. You wanted the system to be quote-unquote broken because you wanted as many people in here as possible because you have a plan to make them citizens or at least their children citizens. See, Democrats don't really give a damn. Some of these people have been here 10 and 20 years. And they have kids now. They have families. They have married Americans. Whatever it is, they are on the pathway to de facto making new citizens. If you can't get them to vote for you, then you go, well, mommy's a second-class citizen because of those evil Republicans, so vote for us. If you can't get mommy's vote, you get the kids' vote. But Democrats are smart strategically, as, as smart as they are evil, they want the whole shebang. They want the kids' vote and mommy's vote. And they aren't going to stop until they get it. So you can have a situation where 100,000 people die from fentanyl poisoning, fentanyl overdoses, fentanyl whatever, poisoning in some cases because some people don't know they're smoking fentanyl. Other cases it is people thinking, well, fentanyl gets me super high. I'll uh, dance with the devil and see if I can't just take the right amount to get high and not die. They'll take the 100,000 dead. They don't give a damn about that. They want the future potential voters. They also want to, as you've seen time and time again, appeal to Hispanics in this country, already American citizens of Hispanic descent, and say, well, this is, uh, we, we care. They're Republicans, they're racist, and we Democrats care deep. Now, it's not working, 
because Hispanics in this country are like don't don't fall for this kind of crap. They look at the identity politics that the Democrats have played for generations and in various other races and the way Democrats bifurcate human beings for their own evil purposes and they said it doesn't really worked out well for anybody. We're going to we're going to vote on principle. We're not going to become blindly loyal to a party. We're going to be up for grabs. We're going to va- vote based on what we believe, not because somebody tried to make a a race-based appeal to us. Democrats are kind of at a loss for that. They can't it's really weird watching them. They see this in each new election. They get fewer and fewer percentage, lower and lower percentage of um of the Hispanic vote, but they can't change tactics because they they don't know how. They don't know how to appeal to somebody based on you know principle, based on policies. It's all based on this identity politics. And you know the joke's on us, really, because it it works by and large for them. Sadly, but it isn't working with the Hispanics. It it works. It's weird. The racist appeal to Hispanic voters isn't working for Democrats on Hispanics, but it works with white suburban liberals, particularly white suburban liberal women. <laughs> okay. Oh, no, the, 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 uh, the Democrats care so deeply about the Hispanic vote, about Hispanic Americans. They're so wonderful, says uh, June Cleaver. Okay. Well, why isn't it? Why don't they vote overwhelmingly for... Uh, for them. Well, it's because of the white savior complex. Anyway, that's a tale for another time. It's just an interesting thing to note that the racist, race-based appeal works better on, you know, June Cleaver than it does on the people they're actually trying to appeal to. Speaking of racist appeals, I just want to point out really quickly, quick aside before we get to there, Cori Bush, she is a detestable creature. She is a a member of Congress representing St. Louis. If you want to know why St. Louis is a hellhole, it's because St. Louis deserves to be a hellhole. Oh, it's systemic racism. Well, systemic racism of voting for morons, I guess, if you can say that. Byron Donalds was the flavor of the month yesterday for the anti-McCarthy Republicans in the House. He he managed to get like a, a dozen votes or maybe up to 20 votes or whatever it was. I don't know. Doesn't matter. I don't think he's the flavor going to be the flavor going forward because the first flavor was uh, Jim Jeffries. They just uh, they just throwing stuff against the wall, seeing what sticks, and that's my problem with it, which we'll get to in a second. Is they don't they don't have a plan. It's like taking hostages and then going. All right, they want to know our demands. Demands? What do you mean demands? I don't know what you're talking about. Well, what the hell did you take hostages for? I don't know. I wanted to hang out with some new people. Get to make new friends. Anyway, uh, Byron Donalds was nominated yesterday by Chip Roy to be the Speaker of the House, the 118th Congress. Byron Donalds is from Florida, and he happens to be black. Who cares? Weirdly, there was a moment where Chip Roy was nominating him and saying, well, this is a historic moment. It's the first time there are two... Uh, black members of Congress nominated to be Speaker of the House. And it took a little while. It was a really slow roll. But eventually, they got a standing ovation for that. Which is weird because that's not what Republicans do. 
That's what Democrats do. You got uh, Ketanji Brown Jackson. I'm going to nominate a black woman for the Supreme Court. Hey, we got the black woman on the Supreme Court. Okay, is she qualified? Doesn't matter. She's writing a memoir, by the way. She probably got a seven-figure deal for writing. Usually you have to wait a couple years to get the payoff, but uh, nope. No accomplishments needed. You just got to get out there and hammer that check from the publisher. But uh, the Republicans, you know, Democrats are the party of it's historic. They're historic. This person's Nancy Pelosi's historic. She's the first woman to be Speaker of the House. She's a horrible person. Doesn't matter. She's historic. Okay. Karine Jean-Pierre is the first woman of color and a member of the LGBTQ community to be the press secretary for the president of the United States. Okay. She's still horrible, and she's a liar, and she's not particularly bright. Oh, but she's historic. You must celebrate that she's historic. I don't, I don't have to celebrate that she's historic. She's not qualified for the job. She's not good at it. She's kind of embarrassing. No, no, you're mispronouncing historic. And you sit there, and you watch this, and then you mock it, and you ridicule it. The Democrats are sitting there breaking down these human beings to their irrelevant characteristics, and celebrating them for that, and therefore cheapening accomplishment, therefore refusing to celebrate accomplishment. And then Republicans go and do the same thing. You're like, okay, uh, all right, who cares that, you know, for the first time we've got two nominees of color for Speaker of the House. Yay, let's acknowledge this. Well, one is a gimmick, quite frankly, because... Byron Donalds wasn't even voting for Byron Donalds at that time. He was voting for Kevin McCarthy. He still says he'd vote for Kevin McCarthy when the chips are down. But also, Hakeem Jeffries, the Democrat, isn't going, better not anyway, end up being Speaker of the House. So why celebrate? It's not an account. Nobody accomplished anything with that. And then Republicans and Chip Roy. And I got no problem with Chip Roy. Chip Roy, if... You know, I'd like to see Chip Roy, Speaker of the House. It's just not going to happen because he's too conservative. But he's got some principled objections to this. It's just weird to see him go, let's celebrate this thing that Democrats celebrate. Like, why? <laughs> why? What do you get out of this? Anyway, back to Cory Bush, this chud from Missouri. If you wonder why St. Louis is a hole that you wouldn't want to accidentally... Uh, I don't know, win a house in. Like, hey, you want a house? Oh, this is amazing. It's in St. Louis. Ooh, yeah, no. Can uh, can I get the cash equivalent? Do I have to go see it? Is there any way out of this? I'm going to sue you if you make me try to take this house from you. Corey Bush said, for what it's worth, and this is on Twitter, for what it's worth, Byron Donalds is not a historic candidate for speaker. He's a prop. Despite being black, he supports a policy agenda intent on upholding and perpetuating white supremacy. His name being in the mix is not progress. It's pathetic. Cori Bush doing her best impersonation of Samuel L. Jackson from Django Unchained. Know your place. Everybody know your place. They do not like, Democrats do not like and will not accept any person of color who dares refuse to obey the leaders of the Democratic Party. 
Yes, that's right. And while the soon-to-be, whenever it happens, leader of the Democrats in the House of Representatives is Hakeem Jeffries, Hakeem Jeffries is getting that position with the blessing and the support and likely on the orders of good old white leadership that the Democrats still have. Steny Hoyer, Nancy Pelosi, they have given their sign of approval to Hakeem Jeffries. Will Cori Bush point out how that's... No, she won't. She probably doesn't realize how stupid she is. Most stupid people don't. She doesn't recognize how racist she is because she is of the mindset that is really perverse, that the left created, that somehow only white people can be racist. Somehow only white people can be racist. Martin Luther King Jr. is rolling over in his grave so much that you could power the eastern seaboard if you just hooked up some wires to his crypt. But they do really genuinely have this belief that only white people can... Because race plus power equals racism. Some toothless kid with the no future and a horrible education system trapped in Appalachia... He's got it better if he's white than uh, the child of a member of Congress or like, uh, say, Cory Booker, the child of IBM, two IBM executives. Yeah, given the best education, went to Ivy League school. He's got it rougher because of his skin color than uh, anybody else. It's a sickness. In a just world, Cory Bush would be condemned by her party's leadership As it stands, no Democrat has even commented on it because none of them have been asked. Why would they? They all agree. The people who would do the asking agree. They're sick. This is the most annoying thing, by the way, back to Kevin McCarthy. This is the most annoying thing about Kevin McCarthy. I'm open to the fact that Kevin McCarthy sucks. All right? Being Speaker of the House, especially in divided government, doesn't really matter all that much. It doesn't really matter all that much. Nothing that the House passes that's conservative that you're going to like is going to become enacted in law. It likely won't even get a vote in the Senate. It just won't. That's the cold, hard reality of it, okay? And then there are going to be some things that pass in the House that you absolutely hate. Really hate. And what? They end up becoming law. Why? Because sometimes what government has to do sucks. And there's going to be stuff snuck in there. And, you know, like, well, what are, that's why I want I want somebody to stand up to all of this. There's nobody who's going to stand up to all of this. Not long term. Every government shutdown ended. Every government shutdown ended with Republicans losing. So which would you prefer? Personally, I'd prefer they shut down government just like, forever. <laughs> Not forever, but really perpetually until conservatives get some concessions. But in general... It's never going to happen. Sorry to be the one pooping on your point and raining on your parade, but the people who are out there grandstanding and everything are not, well, they're dumb, and they are not informed. There's the difference between the two. But they're both. This is what they should do, and this, I stand with everybody, and oh man, I support the way they're doing this. That okay? To what end? What do you? We want a more conservative speaker. To what end right now? What do you get out of it? And who could get the votes? If there are five people who uh, won't vote for Kevin McCarthy, and Jim Jordan doesn't want the job 
covered uh, Jim Jordan doesn't want the job and you know Jim Jordan's better off where he is and he's where he wants to be as being chairman of the House Judiciary Committee then who do you put in there who do you put in there do you put a Matt Gates in there oh Matt Gates is great Matt Gates has zero legislative accomplishments Let's just be honest about it, okay? Not that you need a whole bunch of legislative accomplishments, but it's one thing to be a cable news D-bag who, you know, goes out there and says the right things but doesn't actually do anything or spends all of their time when they're single cruising chicks. Yeah, it's true. Willing, I'm not accusing him of anything, but that was his priority. Okay, is that really inspired leadership? No, he could probably get 15 votes because he alienated a lot of people. So where do you go? Who can get 218 votes? Well, we need to bring somebody in from the outside. You could do that, but it doesn't change the fact that who's going to get 218 votes. I hate to be a stick in the mud, but that's kind of important since that's the threshold, isn't it? I just, uh, look, when it comes to the speaker's fight, I want... I wouldn't, I don't care that it's taking forever. I care that aimless people are leading this church. I care that people without a, without no principle. We've taken hostages. We've taken the plane hostage. What are your demands? Demands? What? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. What, what, do we, what do we want? Not really sure. It's up in the air. Hey, uh, well, do we are we supposed to want something? I just, you know, we got hostages. I thought that that was a kind of, you know, collect them all kind of mentality. If you are going to hold things up, if you are going to throw a monkey wrench in the gears, you should have a purpose behind it. You should. I'm all in favor of throwing a monkey wrench in the gears. Just have a purpose behind it. Your ego isn't a purpose hate to break it to people like Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert, but if you cannot articulate what in the hell you're doing, you maybe really shouldn't be doing it. I don't know. You should have thought this through. <laughs> it's a little bit like the mouse that roared in a way, except they haven't won, at least not yet. The mouse that roared is a great Peter Sellers movie where uh, I can't remember the name of the, uh, the some fictional country where uh let's see, I'll look it up they want they recognize the idea or the the fact that the united states has always rebuilt the countries or at least you know after world war ii they rebuilt the countries that they've devastated right wibberly i think no that's the author of it and uh fenwick grand fenwick they recognize that the United States has always rebuilt, especially after World War II, the um, countries that they've gone to war with, given them economic aid, gotten them back on their feet. And the uh, Dukey of, I don't know what the hell it is, Grand Fenwick was having economic problems. And they thought, well, what if we go to war with the United States of America? And lose, obviously, because it's just a tiny little... Uh, country and then the united states will shower us with economic gifts and they will help us rebuild and so on and so forth the problem for the mouse that roared in the mouse that roared is when fenwick grand fenwick invades quote unquote the united states it's during a time when there is a nuclear war drill 
And so the citizenry and the government of the United States is underground in shelters. So essentially, and there's, it's, I'm really, really simplifying this, but it's satire and it's a book and a movie. Essentially, Grand Fenwick ends up winning. They're winning the war against the United States. They've managed to seize the seat of power in the United States. Well, this is not what they wanted. They wanted to lose. They wanted to, you know, not badly. They wanted to lose quickly uh, so they could get to the economic aid that the United States would thereby bestow upon a vanquished enemy. So they have to scramble to find a way to lose in order to get what they want. So they, they accidentally was the mouse that roared. It's funny. If I, rem- I probably haven't seen it in 15, 20 years, but I remember it being funny at the time. Might have been drinking. It's up to you. But um, it, it's that concept. These people who are leading this anti-Kevin McCarthy crusade are the mouse that roared seemingly. All right, well, what do you want? What is it that you're hoping to get from this? Ah, uh, we have these lists of demands. We want this, we want that, we want the other thing. Well, the problem for them is most of those demands, Kevin McCarthy and his allies looked at and said, all right, fair enough. You can have them. He, he didn't call their bluff. He sort of gave it to them. Most of their demands are fairly insignificant, at least the first round of demands, were fairly insignificant. And so they agreed to them. And they were stuck like, oh, crap, what do we do? They gave us what we wanted. But the truth is they didn't really want those things. They just didn't want Kevin McCarthy to be the Speaker of the House. So they had to find a way, like many times with Democrats, they had to find a way to lose a fight they'd already won. Doesn't make a lot of sense. It's not particularly bright, but it's what they've done. It's like, all right, well, uh, now we demand other things. Well, wait a second. What do you mean you demand other? We already gave you most of what you wanted, or if not all of what you wanted. What do you mean you've got more demands? It's like saying, we will hold these hostages until you give us $1 million. All right, here's a million dollars. Release the hostages. Wait, what? No, uh, we want $1 million and we want, uh, I don't know, a signed uh, Boston Red Sox 1954 for team baseball. Go find one of those things. And the million. Well, we got the million. Here's the baseball. Wait, no. Uh, we also want some original Air Jordans. Can we get those? Each time you win, you move the goalpost. Which, to my mind, makes me think you didn't really have a plan to begin with. You should be, you know, you, you won't accept victory as an outcome. Because they don't want Kevin McCarthy to be Speaker of the House, which is fine. I don't care if somebody doesn't want Kevin McCarthy to be Speaker of the House. Like I said, I don't. I honestly don't care who the Speaker of the House is, but I would have the question of who, who could get 218 votes, who could hold a caucus of uh, filled with you know at least some narcissists who only they can can lead that. Who could get those votes? But. Uh, if your bluff is called or your demands are met, don't you kind of at some point have to accept victory? Shouldn't you? These people seem ill-prepared to accept victory. Now, maybe it's because they simply don't have any victories when it comes to their legislative agenda. Lauren Boebert 
has no legislative agenda to speak of. Matt Gates has no... And I know, look, Matt Gates is... Uh, what's a good way for me to put this that will tick off the fewest number of people? Actually, I don't even care. It's just the truth. There are members of Congress who do things. Uh, Jim Jordan is a member of Congress who does things. There are members of Congress who stand on principle. Chip Roy, I would say, is a member of Congress who stands on principle, by and large. And then there are Anthony Weiners. What do I mean? I'm not talking about Anthony Weiner as far as his extracurricular activities, although there are plenty of stories. I'm talking about Anthony Weiners in the sense of perception versus reality. I know you know who Anthony Weiner is, not just because of Anthony's Weiner. But before he was exposed as the pervert and weirdo that he was, that he is, I assume he still is, he was known across the country in the political sphere. He was a cable news favorite. He was, anytime you needed somebody out there to really stir up the audience or get a discussion started, you wanted to get some controversy, you wanted to have a viral moment or whatever, you wanted somebody to come on and attack Republicans, you would book Anthony Weiner. He would do it. But as a member of Congress, as somebody, as a legislator, when it came to legislative accomplishments, Anthony Weiner had none. None. In his time in Congress, aside from, you know, sending nude photographs of himself around to unsuspecting women on social media, Anthony Weiner did nothing. He did nothing. He wrote no legislation that became law. He accomplished, you know, he raised a bunch of money because he was all over cable news. He was good for the Democratic Party, which is why he was all over cable news and why he was, you know, a favorite, why you know his name. Even if you didn't like him, you knew his name. But as a legislator, he was worthless. I don't have an... It's not personal with, with any of these people because I don't know them personally. I've met a few of them, but I wouldn't ever consider them friends. They're politicians. But Matt Gates has no record of accomplishment. What has he done? Now, he's a cable news favorite, or at least he was, because he could go out there, turn a phrase, he could throw some bombs, some rhetorical bombs. He was quite good. He was the equivalent of an Anthony Weiner. That's not just Anthony Weiner. Anthony Weiner is probably the most well-known of these people. But in general, there are a lot of legislators who are in the Anthony Weiner mold on cable news, all over the place. There's no reason for you to know who a member of Congress is for someplace you don't live, to just be honest with you. There isn't any, you should, wherever you live, you should know you're a member of Congress. Maybe know the couple of members of Congress are in the surrounding area. I'm talking about the House, not the Senate. And you should know the Speaker of the House and the leadership in both parties. And that's really about it. That's really about it. Your member of Congress matters much more to you than somebody from Florida where you don't live 
who goes on cable television. But the power of cable television, cable news, I hate to call it that, it's not news, but the power of cable news is to elevate people without accomplishment to the point that you think they are something they are not. You think they are, well, Matt Gates is a big deal. He's all over cable news. Ooh, okay. Corey Bush, a big deal. She's all over cable news. AOC's a big deal. She's all over cable news. Actually, AOC does have some accomplishments or some semblance of accomplishments in, accomplishments in that she has pushed her party further to the left because they fear her social media footprint, which is kind of pathetic, and her Green New Deal agenda. She is driving that. There is no equivalent for that on the right right now. In the Republican Party, there is no member who's like, well, this is the person really setting the agenda going forward for the youth movement in the Republican Party. Now, it could be Matt Gates, but it's not Matt Gates because Matt Gates, for all of his ability to go on cable news, seems more interested in Matt Gates than advancing any particular causes now aoc has her look aoc's objectives are terrible but her business model is quite good her business model works her business model is what her business model is she wants she can draw attention to things because she talks about these things in a way that is perceived as serious by the people who perceive her as serious what issue is Matt Gates out front on? He's, AOC is out front on the environmental issue. Now, the rest of the stuff she still has a say in, but it is all based on her Green New Deal agenda and pushing the Democrats. She is the go-to person on environmental policy for really stupid environmental policy, really bad and damaging environmental policy. And I'm not talking about the merits of her case or her cause. I'm talking about the fact of it. Does Lauren Boebert have something like that? Now, what do you know Lauren Boebert for? You know her from her appearances on Fox and that she uh, has a concealed carry permit and she has a lot of pictures of herself with a gun on her hip. I don't care if you want to have a gun on your hip, if it's legal and whatever, and that's what floats your boat. Or if you have a concealed carry permit, you shouldn't talk about it. The world shouldn't know about it. But if that's what you want, that's fine. It's your life. It's not a legislative accomplishment. Matt Gates is known for his bombastic appearances on cable news. Nothing wrong with that. There's a place for that in the political party. You got 435 members of Congress. It's almost evenly split members of the House. They can't all be policy geniuses. You need, you know, you need somebody to row the boat. Forget, you know, everybody can't be a navigator, can't be a captain. You need somebody to row the boat. But you could become a good, well-versed and, uh, I don't know, write and introduce legislation and lobby and work hard to get it passed, which is, you know, long, arduous work, not romantic, not going to get you the headlines, ain't going to get you chicks in the bar, but it will get things done. It is kind of the job. Or you can just go out there and be a bombaster on cable news. Nothing wrong with that. There's a place for it. But it ain't curing cancer. It ain't wiping a nose. It isn't much of anything. So when you look at these people who are opposing Kevin McCarthy, 
you have to want like they've got their supporters and it's just i hate kevin mccarthy it's i hate kevin okay you can hate kevin mccarthy i don't care hate kevin mccarthy never vote for him what's your alternative somebody else isn't an alternative somebody else isn't a plan who could get the votes who would get the votes i don't know but to hear these people talk about it is just would give us somebody else that's not a solution and I prefer to, when it comes to leadership, to have leaders who have done things, done things, or at least tried to do things, at least tried to accomplish things. And these people, frankly, don't do it. I watched special report yesterday. Chip Roy was on. Chip Roy is normally articulate. Brett Baer is not a was not giving him a tough interview till the end when he kept. And he had to ask him like a third time, okay, well, what what do you want? What would it be? What is it that you need? What is it that you want? You say you're not opposed to Kevin McCarthy. You have these demands. What are these demands? And he, maybe it's because he's done too much media and you can sort of get in that fog where you can't really formulate thoughts because everything is, it's like 15 people trying to get through a doorway all at once rather than 15 people walking through a doorway in a line. They get stuck stuck up in the door jam. Not that it happens often. If you're getting stuck in door jams, you've got problems, but you get the point. Maybe it's that. But he wasn't able to articulate what it was he wanted, what it would be, what Kevin McCarthy could do to get his vote. Because if the answer is just, I hate Kevin McCarthy, then and I'm never going to vote for him, then that's your answer, okay? You hate Kevin McCarthy, you're never going to vote for him. But you can't pretend I want X, Y, and Z and then uh, we'll be okay. And then you get X, Y, and Z, and you go, now I want a PDQ. That is wildly dishonest. That's my problem with it, is the opposition is wildly dishonest. Not that there's opposition. Okay, so I want to I play a little bit of uh, audio here, just to illustrate my point. That these people don't seem to have a plan. Just... It, what is it in The Dark Knight where Alfred tells um, Bruce Wayne, some men just want to see the world burn? It's almost like that is these people's plans or whatever. Maybe they thought eh, they could hold this up for a little bit and maybe they underestimated the animus toward Kevin McCarthy. I don't know. I think that they're a little surprised by their success. They didn't plan for it, which kind of tells you. <laughs> A lot about them. They do well. That's what are we going to do? We're going to lose, but we're going to make a big stink about it. And then suddenly they're winning. They're the mouse that roared a little bit because they've gotten more support than uh, they thought they would. Not a lot. Certainly not a majority. Not even twenty versus two hundred and three is is not a lot of support. But I think it's held longer than they thought it would. Now they're kind of sitting there going, "What do we do with this thing? What do we do?" Lauren Boebert on the floor of the House yesterday, Donald Trump came out and endorsed Kevin McCarthy, said, all right, let's let's move on. You have all made your points and you got good points, but Kevin's going to be fine. Let's move forward and, and, and do this. Lauren Boebert is a Trump acolyte. She's gotten a lot of support from the former president. It'll be interesting to see. I'm not sure she's going to get it going forward. But she took to the floor of the House of Representatives yesterday and basically said Kevin McCarthy needs to drop. It's so personal with her. And if you make it personal, you lose perspective. But listen to her. Stop with 
the campaign smears and tactics to get people to turn against us, even having my favorite president call us and tell us we need to knock this off. I think it actually needs to be reversed. The president needs to tell Kevin McCarthy that, sir, you do not have the votes and it's time to withdraw. And with that, I yield. Thank you. It's time to withdraw. Why? Okay, maybe he doesn't have the support. Who do you put up there? If Kevin McCarthy is out, who else could even get 200 votes? Maybe Steve Scalise. Maybe Steve Scalise. Maybe. But then you're likely looking at a scenario where it's an even slimmer majority because I think if he doesn't win, he'd be so humiliated and so, I don't know, otherized that Kevin McCarthy, even though Republicans voted in their leader not that long ago in private caucus, he'd have to resign from Congress. Like, all right, well, I, I, I'm ineffective. I have to go. Then you go from a four-seat majority to a three-seat majority. So instead of five people being hold, able to hold up the whole process, you're down to three people being able to hold up the whole process. What do you, what do, you do with that? How do you get past that? What comes next? It's as dumb as issuing an ultimatum when you have no intention of following through on what you're threatening to do if your bluff is called. Don't, don't ever issue an ultimatum unless you're willing to follow through on it, period. Make statements and demands, but, you know, ultimatums are different. It's this or this. There's no gray room. This or I might do that, not much of an ultimatum. Lauren Popert doesn't have a plan. She doesn't. I, I am going to move on from this speaker fight unless there's another development. I just, it's... We've we've talked on it. I'm looking at the news, and there is a lot of other things here. And I saw this headline. This can't. I'm not in the market for a new car, but I'm always in the like looking like we could maybe trade, maybe upgrade the soul for something else. The soul. I just had to put a new transmission in the soul, and so I'm like it's a good car now. I should probably keep it, but I don't know. It's getting up there in age. It's getting up there in miles. And then this story from Bloomberg News, the percentage of U.S. customers paying at least $1,000 a month for their cars soared to a record, adding to concerns that borrowers may be getting in over their heads. Yeah. Almost 16% of consumers who financed a new car in the fourth quarter have monthly payments reaching that level, up from 10.5% a year earlier. So up 5.5 percentage points. According to data collected by Edmunds.com, a provider of the data in the automotive industry, the share of auto owners paying that much was just 6.7% in the fourth quarter of 2020. Now, I'm not, I'm not a buy a new car guy. I did buy a new car once. The first car, the only new car I've ever owned when I bought the Mini Cooper. But uh, I never again, especially not for a thousand bucks a month. Good Lord. Have that kind of disposable income on a freaking car. You drive it off the lot and it's worth a, a third of what it was before. Nuts. Nuts. People, most of our economic woes are people acting wildly responsibly from Congress to people buying cars. Keep that in mind. Okay, so I'm looking at the, the, the Washington Post. And they... Uh, it's filed under critique in the national sections by somebody named Robin Given, who's a senior critic at large. You imagine having a job? Or what's your job? I'm senior critic at large. 
Okay. What does that entail? I don't know. But twice a week, I have to put together a column. And uh, that's it. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, that, that'd be... Now, and you're, you're paid how much? About $200,000 a year. Oh, okay. Yeah. When, they, when you hear the next round of layoffs at the Washington Post, recognize that the bloated opinionators who write stupid things like this are not amongst those being let go. They prefer to save the money on volume rather than on specifics. Washington Post, they have a piece. This is about the NFL. And the uh, DeMar Hamlin, who's doing better, by the way, he's off a respirator. They've got him laying on his stomach. So he he, he somehow damaged his lungs in that. Now, maybe it was just a mat. You know, they... I saw something today that didn't say why he damaged, how he damaged his lungs. It could be because of the tackle. It could be because of a lot of the running back put his shoulder into his chest. It could be that damaged his lungs, bruised his lungs. Or I think people are forgetting that CPR, while it saves lives, is not good for the body. CPR is very important, and you should learn CPR, just the count and where to find the sternum and, and all that. You should learn that. But you're cracking ribs more often than not. You're also saving lives, and ribs can heal and whatever, but you're doing, you're compressing the chest compartment, which, unless somebody's, you know, obese, and even then, the rib cage is all the fat is on the outside. The rib cage is not designed with, you know, spacious. It's not like a, it's a roomy five bedroom home with, you know, lots of storage. That's not how the human body is constructed. So if you give somebody CPR, especially for an extended period of time, the fact that you might have done some damage to, especially if you, you know, not that the medical professionals out on the field didn't know what they're doing, but in general, if you don't know what you're doing, you can do some damage. Um, you still save a life. It's not a discouragement from doing it, but it's going to do some other damage. So the wild speculation about how did his lungs get damaged? Was it this? Was it that? Uh, it might just be the fact that they were compressing his chest and uh, it's not designed to be compressed. It's convenient that it can be to keep the blood flowing. Don't get me wrong, but ideally you'd uh, be much better off not getting CPR and not needing CPR than you would be needing CPR. Anyway, this column is uh, entitled After the Hoopla, All That's Left is the NFL's violence. There is a crusade, there's always been a crusade against football, against competition, against sports, particularly sports that men dominate, because we're all supposed to be genderless, neutered, mutant weirdos looking like David Bowie in the early 70s. That's what they, they want us to be. They want us to be a Logan's run. Everybody gets issued their unitard jumpsuit, and there's no difference between men and women. There is very big differences between men and women. You're not allowed to acknowledge that because men can be women and women can be men and they can be both and neither at the same time. And all the garbage that these people, all the lies that these people are telling us. So they want to destroy it every chance they get. And they look at the situation with DeMar Hamill as a way, uh, Hamlin as a way to strike another blow. Not the death blow, but another blow. Right, from a distance, from outside the circle of fans and aficionados, professional football is both confounding and enraging. Then why do you watch it? It's not for you. 
okay? I would look at the view the same way. It's both confounding and enraging. But I don't watch the view. <laughs> I'll see clips every now and then and use them for this show, but I don't go, got to set the DVR, need to watch the view. Because while I think the world would be better off if the view didn't exist, I don't want to silence the view. The view is actually useful to conservatives in that it exposes just how insane the left is, how nuts these people are, how crazy they are, how the things that they want to do. And you just sit there going, my God, what's wrong with these people? Well, the left doesn't do that. The left says something exists that I don't like or I don't understand or I don't want to have an existence and therefore I will aid in and support the concept of ruining it, making sure it doesn't exist. It's a fundamental difference between the right and the left. For all the people who say they're in a damn times where the difference between conservatives and liberals and Democrats and Republicans, blah, blah, blah. This is a pretty big difference. It's a pretty big difference between the two. It holds on most things. It used to hold on abortion where you overturned Roe v. Wade and go back to the states, the concept of federalism until that idiot Lindsey Graham said, nah, I'm going to make a big dump on that. But otherwise, across most of the board, it holds. It continues. It's America's most popular sport, and it's also deliberately, unspeakably violent. It's a particular kind of violence that's less about accidental collisions, adrenaline-fueled fistfights, or even singular articulated blow. Football violence is wrapped up in machismo, militarism, swagger, and patriotism. Yeah, because when you think about the NFL, you think about patriotism, right? <laughs> God, they're so stupid. They're so stupid. It isn't a sport that thrives despite of the violence. It's because of the violence. The life of any... Okay. Now, she clearly doesn't watch football. She clearly doesn't like football, Robin Given. I don't care. She can have her opinions. Welcome to it. It's that she's trying to impose her opinions on everybody else. Therefore, we must ban football. Football is the problem. Football is evil. Football must go. I would agree that football has changed and football has become more about violence than it used to be. I remember playing football as a kid, no pads, you know, you're just not playing organized football. The choices when I was a kid was you can play a sport. We can't afford to have you play every sport, so you get to pick where I picked Probably the most expensive sport, hockey, but it was also the least expensive sport because I got most of my stuff hand-me-down from my brother or found in locker rooms. But football has, when you're a kid and you're playing football, you got no pads, you got no helmets, you got no nothing. What happens is you throw a pass, you make a run, whatever. Somebody's tackled. You grab them, you wrap them up. You take them to the ground. When's the last time you watched a football game, a professional football game, or even really a college football game, where you saw somebody wrapped up and tackled. Not very often. They're clocked. They're smashed. You get somebody, uh, they don't even really a lot of times wrap their arms around the guy. They just kind of hurl their body toward them. Let's pound them in the chest. Let's try and hit them so hard that we knock them out of the game. We knock the ball out of their hands, whatever it is. Really, if you want to, and that's where a lot of the concussions come from, to be perfectly honest with you. You want to cut down on concussions. It's counterintuitive, but I would suggest if you want to cut down on concussions, you uh, you remove the helmet. 
<laughs> or you change the helmet. If you can make a helmet that prevents concussions, that's all well and good. But if you really want to get rid of the concussions, you get rid of the helmets. Why? Because what kind of psychopathic moron would go diving in headfirst into somebody else's head? Nobody would do that. You, you'd be, take much more caution and precautions when it comes to those things if you could damage yourself. But now they wrap them up in pads that they just literally hurl their bodies at people. Doesn't matter how fast, what position, how defenseless, whatever. They just hurl their bodies at people in the hopes of knocking the ball out. That's part of the game. I suppose you know it going in. I don't want to change football. But if you want to change football, that's the way to go. But the idea that uh, football is the problem and it's too militaristic, it's too patriotic, you begin to really see the character of the left. She continues, football is is a particularly American sport, although it certainly has fans in other countries, notably in Germany, Britain, and Canada. But the NFL doesn't have the sort of international roster that one finds among the nation's basketball and baseball teams. There's no American Football World Cup. Football is America's violence. Do you want to know why we have to worry less about this crap regarding the speakership and what have you and get to the point when when you're fighting against yourself... You're not fighting this crap. When you're fighting against yourself, this crap is thriving. This is the enemy. This is the enemy. Not a guy who disagrees with you slightly on tactics or mildly on uh, which piece of legislation is better to accomplish things. No, this crap is the enemy. But as long as you want to fire down your own trench, this stuff spreads. In the last couple of minutes we have here, another thing from the uh, Washington Post just in it. They hate football, and then they, they hate men. They hate men, they hate football, a connection. They have another piece up there. Climate change puts more women at risk for domestic violence. This is a news piece. This is an, the other one's an opinion column. This is a, somehow a news piece. Why? Because they found some study. It's one study that uh, is of questionable integrity, but it doesn't matter. The lie has spread around. Scientists have long warned that climate change disproportionately impacts the world's poorest and most vulnerable. And negotiators for wealthy countries at the UN Climate Conference in Egypt pledged to do more for poorer countries, already grappling with its devil, uh, uh, their effects. Until recently, relatively little attention has been paid to its disproportionate impact on women and girls. No, I'd say that that's really the the crux of it. They try and appeal to anybody on anything they can, and they need to. They really only try to appeal to leftists because conservatives are, you know, logic based human beings. Uh, but this year, the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change identified a link. They identified a link between climate change and violence, citing the growing evidence that extreme weather events are driving domestic violence with global implications for public health and gender equality. Huh? A 2021 study of extreme weather events in Kenya by researchers in Minnesota found the economic stress caused by flooding and drought or extreme heat exacerbated violence against women in their homes. Hmm? Maybe it was the lockdown from the pandemic. Maybe they didn't really study anything at all, or maybe they didn't categorize or study this stuff in the past. 
one study you can learn absolutely nothing from. But they don't really want to learn anything. They don't want to study this. They don't want to prove it or because if they try to quote-unquote prove it, they might end up disproving it. They want the notion. It's all they really care about. They want to weaponize it. Another reason why do you support beating women? Why are you opposed to climate change legislation? Do you want to hurt women? Yeah, it's really that simple. They're really that stupid. Well, that's enough for today. That's enough for this week, isn't it? And uh, maybe next, I think next week I'm going to have a, we're going to have a contest starting again on Monday for autographed books. But um, I'm thinking maybe ask and doing a poll at patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast next week to see, uh, and it'll be for everybody. If they do, I don't know if they allow polls or not. I have to research one of the two. Is the show too long? Think about that. I don't know if the show's too long or should it be a half an hour show? It seems like the shorter these shows are, the more people are like, I'm too busy to listen to an hour. Well, you could listen to double time. But I don't know. It's Because there aren't many shows that are like an hour, hour and a half out there. They just aren't. So think about that. Otherwise, be at uh, patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast at uh, 12.01 or at... Uh, DerekHunter.locals.com at 12.01 tonight for the Weekend Epic Review. Have yourself a wonderful weekend. Either way, we'll be back here on Monday. Appreciate you listening. Have a great one. Bye.